This morning our gospel comes from John, St. John's Gospel, the 10th chapter. We're going to read verses 11 through 18. This is Jesus who is speaking here. And he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will ruin, uh, will run away when he sees a wolf. When a wolf comes, he will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks and then scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't even really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. The Gospel of our Lord. Today we celebrate Good Shepherd Sunday, and I want to take a look at that theme of Jesus being the Good Shepherd as a three-dimensional picture of who Jesus is for you and for me. Um, but I also know that um, it's not just about the Good Shepherd, <laughs> but it's an amazing, amazing feat that Jesus would sacrifice his life for the sheep. Now, we intended to have a, a, a sh one of the sheep here this morning, uh, a lamb, um, but when Mary went to pick up the lamb, the lamb was being uncooperative. The, the sheep was not working along the plan. And I just thought, you know, how appropriate on Good Shepherd Sunday, when we're supposed to have a sheep at the church, we can't get the sheep to cooperate. Does that kind of sound like the church, like us? <laughs> um, so thankfully, we received a goat, a little baby goat instead. And uh, obviously, I think the goat would listen to the good shepherd, even though the sheep didn't. Um, but maybe not. Let's take a look to see how well the goat follows the shepherd. Follow me, Go-Go. Go-Go, follow me. Come on, Go-Go. Can you follow me? This way, okay, all right? I will not go go. Let's go this way. Let's go this way. The goat has a mind of its own. It's not following its good shepherd. What are we going to do about this? Well, the, the first thing that we can surmise from that little video clip is that I am not a good shepherd. <laughs> I think the second thing that you can surmise is that the goat heard lots of voices, and the goat wasn't really used to my voice. 
And so when, when I was calling for the goat to follow me, the goat didn't follow. And it's because the goat doesn't recognize my voice. I'm not that goat's good shepherd. The good shepherd is Gogo. That's the goat's name. Gogo's uh, shepherd is the one that Gogo follows. And you know the name of Gogo's good shepherd? It's Karen. <laughs> um, Karen's critters is where we get the goat from. Um, so Karen is the good shepherd for this particular goat and for the obnoxious sheep that wouldn't cooperate with us earlier this morning as well. I think these animals know their shepherd well, don't they? Well, when we think about those images, um, does that sound familiar to you? Um, that maybe the sheep wouldn't recognize the voice. If the, if the voice that the sheep is listening to isn't the true voice of the good shepherd, how can we expect it to listen? And so there is some references that I wanted to highlight this morning in contrast with what Jesus is teaching us. And um, I'm going to focus on the book of Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. So if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't you grab it if you don't, and, or grab your phone, whatever you use for your Bible. And let's open up to Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, and this is part of the problem of why Israel uh, was strained so far, um, was that it wasn't just the sheep that were the problem, it was also the shepherds. In Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, we'll start with verse 1 and read through verse 6. Let me get it open here. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Now, an important distinction to make here is when Ezekiel speaks this word, this is not Ezekiel's commentary. This is not Ezekiel's teaching. What Ezekiel is speaking is exactly what God has spoken to Ezekiel and told Ezekiel to tell the people. So the, the prophets are the messengers, and the message that they're bringing is the word of the Lord. Then the message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, God is speaking to Ezekiel here, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you, shepherds, who feed yourselves instead of your flocks. Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? But you drink the milk, you wear the wool, and you butcher the best animals, and you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended to the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. No one. Is that a familiar sound to you? Do you remember hearing that before when Jesus was teaching? Do you think that Jesus' teaching echoes perhaps what 
Ezekiel says on behalf of the Lord. If we go to, to Matthew 23, this whole chapter in Matthew is dedicated to Israel's leaders who have neglected their sheep. And, you know, the, the leaders that, that uh, Ezekiel was speaking to would have been the kings and the prophets and the priests. And the leaders that Jesus is speaking to would be the religious leaders, the head of the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, and the scribes. So let me read just a few of the verses in the beginning of chapter 23 of Matthew's Gospel. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they preach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra-wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra-long tassels. And they love to sit at the head of the banquet tables and to sit in the places of honor in the synagogues. They love to, be, to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace, and they love to be called rabbi. But don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you only have one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. What Jesus has been telling the people, teaching the people, and what he has been getting, been, been getting into trouble over is exactly what he has been teaching. You see, the first image of this multidimensional aspect of, of who Jesus is is that he is the good shepherd, the guide. He is the guide that all the other shepherds that have come before him have failed to be. They, the kings, the prophets, the priests, all the leaders of Israel have failed Israel. They have not been good shepherds. And Jesus is highlighting that, which is irritating a lot of the current religious leaders in Jesus' day. But let's take a look at what Jesus has taught us. Good shepherds are to guide their sheep in order to protect them. Good shepherds lead their sheep to pasture so that they can eat fresh grass, have their fill. Good shepherds lead their sheep to streams of water to drink of fresh water. Good shepherds lead their sheep away from evil and threats to guard and protect them. But unfortunately, Israel had been filled with bad shepherds. And when Jesus tries to identify this particular problem, he contrasts the problem by telling the people that he has come to be the true good shepherd. He will be our true guide. We can trust him. He will not mislead us. The second aspect of this image of the Good Shepherd is that it is an image for the Messiah, the, the promised leader who would come to break into this world with the kingdom of God. 
The Messiah was the human figure promised by God who would bring about God's reign. And if we go back to Ezekiel 34 once again, uh, verse 23 this time, uh, we can read about how the good shepherd was anticipated to be the Messiah in verse 23 and 24. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will feed them and be a shepherd to them. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be a prince among the people. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, you may not remember this, but in 2 Samuel 7, God promises David not just a son, but he promises him an anointed son. Um, a son that is anointed. In the Hebrew, that word for anointed also means Messiah. And so what, what God is promising David through the prophet Nathan is that out of his lineage, out of his sons and grandsons and great-grandsons will come the Messiah. And isn't it interesting that Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem to register because Joseph comes from the family of David. And so Jesus is the promise that has been given to us, not only to be our good shepherd to guide, but also to be the good shepherd, our Messiah. And Jesus fulfills this messianic promise as the good shepherd the one that Ezekiel speaks of to Israel, that one that I just read in verse 23. And it's kind of ironic as well that when Samuel went to anoint the next king, remember Saul had been king and was king, uh, but Saul um, had betrayed God and lost the confidence of God. So he continued to be king because once you were anointed as king, you were king for life. But God wanted Samuel to anoint another king, someone who would be prepared to take over and to take over soon. And um, so he goes to um, Jesse to find one of his sons because that's where God has told him the next king will come from. And so Jesse lines up all of his sons and Samuel goes through them all and he keeps saying, nope, not that one, not you know, the tall, handsome one. Nope, he's not the one. The, the next tall, tallest one, uh, not quite so handsome, but, but very fit, you know. Nope, he's not the one. They go through five of these sons. And Samuel rejects them all. So there's this dilemma. God had told Samuel to go and anoint one of Jesse's sons. And he's gone through all of the sons. And so he turns back to Jesse and, he, and the brothers and he says, is this it? Well, they had been holding out on him. Now there's one more son, but he's the smallest and he's the most unprepared. He's not the brightest and the best, you know. Um, you, you wouldn't want him. Well, well, where is he? Well, and who is he? And they said, well, his name is David and he's out tending the sheep. <laughs> Isn't that something? That David himself, before the, becomes the anointed, the king of Israel, is a shepherd. 
And so the Messiah is promised to bring in the reign of God so that the kingdom of God begins to fill the earth, not, not with power and military power and might, but this Messiah is going to fill the earth with God's reign in a different way. The third dimension of this three-dimensional figure of the Good Shepherd is that Jesus is also God. This is the claim that gets Jesus into the most trouble with the religious leaders, especially in John's Gospel. And so when we think about Jesus as God, um, we have a reference from Ezekiel once again about this. So let's go back to Ezekiel 34 one more time. And this time we're going to be reading verses 11 through 16. As Ezekiel shared the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord described the bad shepherds, now in this section, the word of the Lord speaks to describe the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is identified here as God. Listen to these verses. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from amongst the peoples and the nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in the lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and I will give them a place to lie down in peace, says the Sovereign Lord. I will bandage the injured, I will strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are, far, uh, who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, I will feed them justice. So what Jesus is showing us is that the good shepherd has a complexity to it. That not only is he a human guide, but that he is also the Messiah, the, the Son of God, and that he is also God. And, you know, is it a surprise that when we recite Psalm 23, we recite a continued understanding of God as the good shepherd? How does it begin? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, isn't that the good shepherd? And then um, a little bit later on in John uh, chapter 5, uh, this is what Jesus tells us about his role um, in verses 19 and 20, about his role as God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. So the Messiah can't do anything by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater things than 
um, healing this man, then you will be truly astonished. So the son and the father are one. The son does nothing that the father wouldn't do or isn't doing. And so when we look at this picture, what we see here is a shepherd who is our guide, who is our Messiah, and who is our God, who has such great authority and power that he can accomplish his reign in a very unique and powerful way. This is how it says that the Messiah will accomplish this reign. Jesus will exercise his power by laying down his life and taking it up again. Jesus is going to demonstrate for you and for me the power of the resurrection by his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. You want to see true power? Don't look for military tanks. Don't look for fighter jets. You want to see true power? Look to the crucifixion and the resurrection of God's beloved Son. That brings us to the Passover, to the sacrifice. When we look at this sacrifice, what we're looking at is the manner in which the Good Shepherd becomes the sacrificial lamb. This is how God demonstrates his power. A little review of the Passover. If you remember that, uh, that the Israelites had been in bondage, enslaved by the Egyptians. This was hundreds of years, several hundred years after Joseph had gone to Egypt, had been taken there as a slave, and then had um, achieved his great uh, fame and power and where his family had come to live in Egypt, all of that changed over the next several hundred years. And so now, in this period of time, God has called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery into the Promised Land. But before they can do this, Moses must make his case against Pharaoh. And if you remember, he goes to Pharaoh, one, two, three, four, five, Ten times, ten times, nine different plagues have occurred. And now the tenth plague is bearing down upon them. And the tenth plague is this, that the, that the Lord God is going to send the angel of death to, to, to go over the city, to go over the land of Egypt, and to kill every firstborn child. And as... This plague is promised. God also says to those who hear him, at this point, it's the Israelites who are listening to him. And he says to those who hear him, who hear his voice, sacrifice a sacrificial lamb on the day before the event is to take place. On the night when the angel of death walks over, goes, passes over all of the, the, the cities and the places of Egypt, if you put the sacrificial blood of the lamb over your doorposts, then the angel of death will pass over your house and your firstborn children will be protected. They will be saved. So the Passover becomes a great celebration of deliverance 
for the Israelites as they have celebrated since the time of Moses. They continue to celebrate the Passover during the time of Jesus. And so on this Passover, the Paschal lamb that was to be sacrificed, and everybody brought their lambs to the temple to sacrifice them there, to be blessed by the priest. They'd take the blood and throw the blood against the altar. They had a, um, a trench, um, stone trench cut in front of the altar uh, that drained into the river. They said over the Passover, the river would turn red. There was so much sacrificial blood that was, um, that was offered up. And, and so um, the sacrifices happened in the temple. The, the Paschal lamb that was sacrificed by each family was to be without blemish, and none of its bro bones were to be broken. The lambs were to be sacrificed between the hours of noon and sundown on the 14th day of Nisan, which is also known in, um, in the Hebrew world as the day of preparation for the Passover. Now, the Passover begins at sunset, at sundown. That's when the new day begins in the Jewish calendar. And so you could sacrifice from noon until sundown, uh, but otherwise there was no sacrifices offered in the temple for the Passover. The lambs um, that were sacrificed um, would be then taken home and roasted and eaten as a part of the Passover meal. That brings us now to the Passover sacrifice, the manner in which the good shepherd becomes the sheep, this sacrificial sheep. This is what John tells us about Jesus' last day before his crucifixion. Jesus ate his last meal with his disciples the night before the Passover rather than on the Passover. On the morning before the execution, the Jewish authorities refused to enter the praetorium, that's the, the Roman um, um, court, courthouse in a sense, um, that Pilate was in charge of. So they refused to enter the praetorium to keep themselves from being defiled. If they had gone into that Gentile court, then they would have been defiled and not been able to eat the Passover that evening. Jesus' sacrifice, his death, was completed before sundown on that same day. The soldiers didn't break Jesus' bones. If you remember, they went and broke the bones of the two criminals, one on each side of him. When they came to Jesus, they realized that he was already dead, and so they didn't break his bones. Jesus' death was consistent with the requirements for a perfect Passover sacrifice. Jesus, the three-dimensional shepherd, a guide, a Messiah, a God, offered himself up as the sacrifice for our sins so that we might inherit eternal life. This is the third thing that I was referring to in my e-weekly article this past week when I mentioned that the Good Shepherd provides for us, um, the Good Shepherd protects us, and then I said come to church on Sunday to learn the third thing, and the third thing is that the good shepherd sacrifices himself for us that we might receive eternal life. So the good shepherd is our guide, 
our Messiah, our God. The Good Shepherd provides for us, protects us, sacrifices for us, that we might have eternal life. At the very end of our reading for today, it said that the sheep hear the Good Shepherd's voice, and they follow him. The sheep are those who listen to the shepherd's voice. The sheep are, are those who hear the shepherd's voice. Gogo the goat didn't know my voice, didn't recognize it, and so Gogo wouldn't follow me. The sheep are the ones who recognize the true voice of their true Savior. And the shepherd, this good shepherd, is the one who brings the sheep into the sheepfold to protect them. The shepherd needs to bring other sheep into the sheepfold, it says, into this community of faith. Even those who are not traditionally part of Israel. In Ezekiel, it's referring to the Gentiles, and Jesus picks up on that when he teaches this to his disciples and to the religious leaders, that God's intent was not just to save Israel, but to save the whole world, that it would begin with Israel and then move through Israel to all of the Gentile nations. This tells me that it is our work to listen to the voice of the shepherd, to listen to that voice, and then to follow that voice wherever the voice leads us, wherever the word of God leads us, we are called to follow that word will provide for us. That, world, that word of God will protect us. And that word of God will give us, give you eternal life. And so when we listen to the voice of the shepherd, we hear what God is saying to us. And we do what the shepherd is doing. And so as we celebrate this Good Shepherd Sunday, I'll ask, what are you listening to? What words are forming your identity? Whose words are forming your identity? And if they are God's words that you are listening to, where is God calling you?